Well, I invite your reverent attention to God's Word as we find it in Romans, 11th chapter, verses 11 to 24. Romans 11, verses 11 to 24. I say then, did they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, and you stand only by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Behold then the kindness and severity of our God. To those who fell, severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, One of the... uh great and perhaps uh, dominant metaphors of the scriptures is that of the tree. We saw that this morning in the call to worship Psalm 1. The righteous man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His uh, leaf does not wither. and He brings forth his fruit in his season. Uh, Ezekiel 31 has uh, Assyria as a tree. Uh, It's very interesting in that text, somewhat sad, that the trees of Eden uh, envied Assyria. Good reminder to be careful not to uh, envy the wicked uh, for whatever reason. But uh, nonetheless, Assyria is cut down. Notice the connection. The righteous man is not cut down. Uh, The wicked nation and all who... uh, follow their uh, gods is a tree that's going to be cut down. Another illustration of this is Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Uh, Dream is about him uh, and about uh, all of his great acts, the power, nation, and uh, his benevolence, and perhaps uh, even uh, his wickedness. Uh, But Nebuchadnezzar became proud, and God dispatches an angel from heaven to cut him down. Uh, 
that reference to the tree there is instructive for our own passage because uh, we learn in our passage of the incredible danger of pride and presumption of which Nebuchadnezzar, of course, fell prey to and uh, was a tree that was cut down. One more reference, again, there are many more, but if you'll turn in your New Testament to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 3, uh, I'd like to read uh, verses uh, 8 to 10. Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, uh, the physical sons of Abraham in the days of Jesus have become full of pride uh, and presumption, which is just as deadly. Uh, and the tree uh, this morning is totally different uh, other than uh, Psalm 1, the tree of the righteous man. It's a tree of the promises of God, uh, covenantal promises of God. The promises that God begins with the patriarchs. Of course, it's a, pre, it's a tree that's in the mind of God uh, in the Trinity, uh, the eternal covenant of redemption that God is going to save and keep and preserve His own. Uh, but that tree is uh, planted in this world, and uh, things happen to that tree. God acts upon that tree. And Paul does something that I, I think it's helpful to remember. He uh, is going to walk between the eternal and the physical that he sees. Uh, Paul knows a measure of eternity, but not the fullness of eternity. It's just a man. He's going to speak to the church at Rome uh, about the physical and what is seen. What we as Christians can see. And uh, the tree of the covenantal promises uh, has many branches. And there are natural branches. There are branches that are grafted on, which we will learn to be the Gentiles. And there are branches, sad to say, that are removed by God because they are not bearing fruit in accordance with their repentance. And it's not that God has failed. It's that God is giving us a great warning passage the larger context, as you know, of this text is just that. The Word of God has not failed. The Word of God cannot fail. If it could fail, God uh, would not be God. And so again, as Paul, uh, if you will, descends to the eternal, he knows that Christ will save his own. He knows that of everyone whom Christ saves, none will be lost and they will bear fruit. But he doesn't live perpetually in that realm. He lives in the human realm. And he knows that there are branches on the tree of the promises of God. And sometimes God comes and he adds to that tree branches and sometimes he cuts off as men and women, boys and girls, do not bear fruit 
in accordance with genuine repentance of the faith. The immediate context uh, beyond the fact that the Word of God cannot fail is that God is not finished in dealing with ethnic Israel. Verses 11 to 16. And then the great warning passage, and neither is he ever finished in dealing with pride and presumption. Verses 17 to 24. Uh, To narrow the immediate context all the more, we have the hardening of Israel. Uh, Many uh, among the nation have rejected the Son, and so God hardens them. Uh, Many uh, among the nation have engaged in idolatry, and so God makes them like the gods that they wish to serve. The good news is that this hardening is not final, and neither is it total. Because at the present time, Paul has told us there is a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Chapter 11, verse 5. In other words, uh, regarding this great metaphor of the tree, there is always a remnant. Among all the nations, there is a remnant that God saves according to His grace and His power and His divine ability. And the hardening is not permanent or final because God is going to continue to save that remnant. We had a graphic illustration of the remnant in previous context, namely uh, 7,000 who had not bowed their knee uh, before Baal in the days of Elijah the prophet. And God always has 7,000. In my mind, it's a figurative number of massive proportions. Uh, And so God is always saving. And He's going to continue to save a remnant within the nation of Israel. In Paul's day, he tells us that the hardening is still in effect, but that God is still saving. Based on what? His promises to the patriarchs, promises to Abraham. Even more so than that, the eternal covenant of redemption made between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Uh, By the way, that is tremendous news, is it not? God is continuing to save. Uh, And that will continue until the end of the age because He alone has the power to affect it. Uh, I suspect uh, some of you are troubled over perhaps members of your family who do not know Jesus Christ or who perhaps uh, profess faith in Christ but uh, are engaging in pride and presumption that they don't need to bear fruit. They have their own self-defined way to God and to Christ. And so what do we do? Well, we pray because of the power of God to save and to raise up a remnant. And we should never lose heart in beseeching our God to save according to His power. Uh, Paul, as well, begins by acknowledging that the hardening of Israel is not final. Uh, He speaks of their stumbling and their spiritual failure. But notice, notice his question, beginning of the text, have they fallen in the sense of irreversible failure? That Paul emphatically denies. He also affirms uh, the positive effect of their stumbling. 
For in their stumbling and failure, God is turned to save Gentiles. God is always moving on. But He's also always continuing to save. Uh, the parallel phrase to turning to save Gentiles is to create riches for the world. And the parallel phrase is Gentiles within the world. That even among the Gentile nations, God is a remnant. And God is going to save that remnant and keep them and preserve them for His glory. Uh, it's a figure of speech, uh, technically a substitution in which the effect is substituted for the cause, namely God. God is the cause of all salvation. And therefore, He turns to the nations to save. Again, another remnant among the Gentile nations. It's a purposeful act. God always acts purposefully. I know some of you are like me, say, how could this be happening to me? Well, sometimes we do not know. But God is always purposeful. He never does anything without a purpose to bring glory to Himself and to honor His Son and to advance His kingdom. And so, in your own actions, uh, perhaps prayer for a loved one, a prayer for a prodigal, God is at work. And he's purposeful. We can always turn to Him. And the purpose is to provoke, in this case, provoke Israel to jealousy. Uh, chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, if he turns to the world, the purpose is he's going to provoke Israel or some within Israel to be jealous. Well, if God's saving Gentiles, then perhaps that's God's eternal purposes and I'm going to come to faith too. We see that precisely in the book of Acts. If God has turned to save the nations, praise God for His purposeful actions to save. And again, the good news of the Gospel is the power of the Gospel to save. It's really uh, contextually a reminder of Romans chapter 9, verse 6. But it is not as though the Word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. There's a great deal of eschatological implications to that. Um, suffice it to say, contextually, God is always going to save a remnant from the larger whole of the nation of Israel. A remnant and not the whole. And that the hardening is not permanent is explicitly stated in verse 15. And that God's receiving them again will be life from the dead. Well, God's going to turn. He turns away from Israel as a nation to the Gentiles, and that's going to provoke uh, some Jews to jealousy, and God's going to be able to turn back to them again and raise them from the dead. Spiritual renewal of the gathering of the remnant among the larger whole of the nation of Israel. Look at a beautiful illustration of this from Paul, Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. As it is written, the Father of many nations have I made you in the sight of Him whom He believed. So Abraham believes God, and God reckons it to him as righteousness. Now how did he believe God? 
because he was smarter than everybody else, better equipped, went through graduate school, had the diplomas, doing all the right things. No, let's look at how God saved. Who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's how God saves. He simply creates it by divine fiat, power. Uh, the parallel to that is the physical creation in Genesis 1. God speaks and the universe is framed. When God comes to save a member of the remnant, He speaks and hearts are changed. Men and women repent and bring forth fruit according to their repentance. So God is always saving because He promised to do so. And the Word of God cannot fail. And this renewal is uh, specified in a conditional statement, verse 16. And if the first piece of dough be holy, the lump is also. And if the root be holy, the branches are too. Here Paul does something that uh, our 10th grade English teacher tells us never to do. He mixes metaphors. Uh, the first is first fruits. First fruits is a figure that there's more to come. In this case, it's a figure of dough. So a uh, Jewish man or woman is uh, making uh, some bread and uh, uh, taking a piece of dough uh, to use in the making of that bread. Um, that doesn't comport a great deal to me other than uh, sourdough bread. You know, I get it there, but uh, just I'm not much of a baker other than to muck everything up I touch. Uh, and with that lump, what were they to do with that lump? Well, the first fruits belonged to God. They would take it to the cultists and give it to the priests to sustain them in their ministry. And that was true of every aspect of life save one. Their crops, their herds. The only place where it was not operative was the firstborn child of every family. Now, why is that? because the Levites were the firstborn. They were reserved for God as a substitution for the killing of the firstborn child to give to God. The entire tribe of Levi was devoted singularly to advance the word of God among the nation. And from the tribe of Levi was the family of Aaron, from which came the priests served. By the way, I might remind you that that's Old Testament theology. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a priest by the new birth. And what do priests do? They serve, bearing fruit in accordance with their repentance. So the illusion of the first fruits is there's always a small part that's given to God as a testimony that there's more to come. You go out to harvest grain. First fruits went to God, meaning that there was a greater harvest yet to come. And so there's going to be a revival of a remnant when God turns to save again a remnant from among the nation of Israel. Both lump and root are references to the covenant promises to the patriarchs. God started with them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. They're the root of the tree. Thank God he didn't stop there. He saves a massive number. 
many from among the nations. Because of what? Because some are better than others? Of course not. Simply, God's promise to Abraham to save according to what? His grace. His sovereign grace and power. The patriarchs are the first fruits, specifying a greater harvest among a remnant yet to come that will bear the fruit of what? Notice the text, the fruit of holiness. The fruit of holiness. They're like trees planted by the rivers of water whose leaves did not wither and in season bore fruit for the glory of God. In this case, the specificity of the fruit is holiness. God produces fruit, the fruit of holiness. And so he is proving the case, Romans chapter 9 to 11, that God is still saving a remnant from among the nation of Israel. And now in verses 17 to 24, if God is not finished in saving a remnant from among Israel, He is also not finished in dealing with pride and presumption. This classically uh, in the Scriptures is a warning passage. It's meant to warn. Think of it in this way. Paul uh, is a pastor. He's warning some members of his church to be careful about pride and presumption. The figure here is an olive tree. It's another symbol for Israel. From the patriarchs, there's a tree. Some of the branches, Paul says, verse 17, are broken off. Why are they broken off? Because they're not bearing forth fruit. They're not persevering in the faith and rendering the fruit of holiness. That is in the human realm that you and I see. It's a warning to us that if we claim to be branches on the tree of the eternal promises of God, we're to bear forth fruit. If we don't, God will cut us off. God is also gracious. He's grafting in Gentiles. In respecting Gentiles, he makes them partakers of all of the covenantal promises given to Abraham. No difference whatsoever. Why is that? Because there's only one tree. There's only one people of God, not two. There's only one. There are different branches, but there's only one tree. And evidence that someone is a branch on the tree of the promises of God is they bear forth fruit, the fruit of perseverance, continuing in the faith. So in the immediate context of our lesson this morning, uh, there is evidence that some of the Gentiles among whom Paul is ministering have developed a sense of pride and presumption against the rejected Jews. Let's look at verse 18 and read it. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, but if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root who supports you. Well, Paul is counteracting pride. Um, I would tell you, um, there are many sins in life. I'm not here to speak on that. But some of the deadliest are pride and presumption. 
Uh, presumption is a very common sin uh, among professing Christians. Well, I don't need to bring forth fruit. I don't need to persevere in the faith. I make my own way. They're not in the absolutes anyway, are there? So very commonly held, especially among uh, young people today, because they've been taught that in our secular schools, that there are no absolutes. There are no absolutes, and I can rel relatively define my own way, and God will be happy, as long as I profess faith in Christ. No, there's another substantive aspect. We're to bear forth fruit to glorify Him. God wants a harvest. Always wants a harvest to glorify Him and to advance His kingdom. So be very careful of pride. It's just as deadly. I grew up in Venezuela. Uh, we would oftentimes, uh, again, I was you know young lad, my dad would pull my chain and I would go, but uh, oftentimes he would pull our chain to go into the jungle and go fishing. Well, I had that disease. I still have that disease. I like to go fishing. And it was incredible fishing. Also a little bit dangerous because there were constrictors, you know, 30 feet long snakes. I always get the willies when I think about snakes. And, 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 and there were incredibly dangerous uh, smaller snakes like Oklahoma, rattlesnakes. So you just didn't go dancing through the tulips in the jungles of Venezuela. And then, worst of all, alligators in the river. One didn't get you, the other would. So you, you were careful. And it is the reminder that as Christians, we need to be circumspect and careful. Uh, greatest joy in life is to profess a personal saving faith in Jesus Christ is the only one that can forgive us of our sins and guilt. But also to remember that when He saves, He saves purposefully to generate fruit for His glory. And so we need to be careful. We need to remember that the New Testament, Old Testament, is full of warning passages. We are heirs of God's uh, grace and provision of Christ, the eternal covenant of redemption. Immediate fruitfulness of that is humility. Well, God didn't save me because I was smarter. I certainly wasn't better than anyone else. He saved me simply according to the good pleasure of His sovereign will and no other reason whatsoever. Any other reason is going to generate pride and presumption. And we stand in that. Look at verse 20. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, and you stand only by your faith. So do not be conceited, but fear. Be circumspect. Understand there are warnings. Make constant appeals to the grace of God to fructify, to work, to sanctify, to generate the spirit of perseverance. And perseverance can be seen. I can't see faith. Uh, I know uh, most everyone in this congregation, other than uh, visitors that have come, and uh, profess faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, out of grace, I accept that. 
But I can't see it, can I? What can I see? The fruit of perseverance. The fruit of humility. Like a tree bearing fruit. It's like if you were to call me to your home and uh, feed me fried chicken and apple pie, and I would be deeply, profoundly gracious. and Take me into your backyard and say, Phil, that's an apple tree. And I say, uh, are you sure? I mean, I, I think I see pears on it. Well, Phil, don't, don't pay that any attention. It's really a pear tree. Just believe it by faith, Phil. You know, uh, something of our lives, if I profess to be a Christian and I'm bearing apples, but I call myself a pear tree, I should be careful. I should heed the warnings. Walk circumspectly. And render what I know God works by His sovereign grace and power. The metaphor is this, by believing in Christ, Gentiles were grafted on to the tree of promise by his sovereign grace. There's a wild tree, he simply cuts a branch off and grafts it on. Now I admit to you, I know nothing of the science of horticulture. Generally, in my family, we will bear testimony of this, that if I plant something, it's going to die. If I transplant something, it's sure to die. But when God plants, He bears fruit. It's evidence that He's grafted by sovereign grace Gentiles on to His covenant tree of promises. Israel became proud and presumptuous. They were cut off. It's a warning of pride. This, this metaphor is used everywhere in Scripture, just like the metaphor of the first fruits in the tree. Let's turn to John chapter 15. Uh, if I've uh, confused you, then uh, I feel fairly certain that Jesus will uh, lift the confusion. John chapter 15, verses 5 to 8. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, by the way, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, you say, well, I can bear my own fruit, you will fail, you will be cut off. Uh, but if you've been grafted onto the vine, uh, you will bear fruit by the power, saving power of Jesus Christ. Not your own works, His saving power. He will work within you to generate what is pleasing in His sight. You abide in me. That's the only way we can produce fruit that's pleasing to God. I would remind you as a minister of the gospel, every other religion fails here. None are accepted. There are no mulligans. You either abide in Christ or you do not. And if you abide in Christ by His power, you bear fruit by His power, by the surging, life-giving force of His grace that is working within us to produce fruit for His glory. And if anyone does not abide in Me, John 15, 6, He is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. That is succinctly and pointedly the entire essence of this text. Perseverance can be seen. It's the fruit of genuine life in Christ. And that God expects a harvest. And it's always linked to Christ. Not Buddha, not Gandhi, not Hinduism, or you fill in the blanks. I know that statement is anathema to our culture. I'm just a messenger. The message is God's. You go anywhere else other than to abide in Christ. This text speaks to your end. It doesn't please me to say that. It doesn't necessarily even change my civil attitude to you. But this is eternity and the workings of God. And the warning passage is to be taken seriously. Very careful of pride and presumption. Be very careful about professing faith in Christ, but defining your own fruit when He is the Creator and it's His grace that saves. Everything else will be cut off. It's a need for Christ. The blessings of Christ. The forgiving power of Christ. Paul is warning them of the necessity of continuing in the faith as evidence of God's kindness. That is the doctrine of the perseverance. Paul's point. As a human, I cannot see faith. I cannot see your heart. What I can see is perseverance. Because that's the evidence of genuine faith. That God is at work bearing fruit for His glory. The reality of Psalm 1. The leaf does not wither. And the tree bears forth fruit in its season. Perseverance does not save us. Make no mistake about that. Only God saves. But it is evidence that He is at work. Amplify on this warning passage concept a little bit because it's maybe somewhat unique. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all the creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. If you continue in the faith, the fruit of perseverance goes beyond a profession. The one of the aspects of Paul's uh, context here is that professing faith in Jesus Christ is never a solitary or a naked event. It bears fruit like the tree planted by the rivers of water, which is the grace of God in Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, Paul tells Timothy. And as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who are here you. One of the most chilling warning passages in all of the New Testament. It's the book of Hebrews. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. And again, it's not that the Word of God fails. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, he's just a pastor. He's saying, I accept your faith. Come into the church. Partake of the sacraments. He can't see faith, but he can see perseverance. And what does perseverance do? It holds fast, firm until the end. Many people experience in Christian faith. Uh, parents sometimes, their children leave home and then walk away from the faith. That's when the warning passages come into play. The importance of persevering, holding fast. How do we hold fast? Abiding in Christ. How do we abide in Christ? We believe and hope in Him alone. We forsake all others. And we repair to Christ. John 15, ask what you will and it will be given to you. That's not universally everything. I don't ask God for a 58 Corvette. I'd like to, but it's just not going to happen. I, I say that only because of my affection for 58 to 68 Corvette. I'm sorry I've lost some of you. Returning back to the Scriptures. The point is we persevere. We ask God to work. We ask Him to fructify us, to generate more fruit. We ask Him to help us by His grace to use our gifts for His glory, not for ourselves. We reject pride. We say continually to ourselves, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. So work according to your glory. We, we mimic something of the philosophy of Jesus and His work in John the Baptist. What's the Baptist say? I will become less and less. He will become more and more. That's the fruit of continuing in the faith. In other words, genuine salvation is evidenced in persevering. In the divine realm, God causes it. Nothing at all happens apart from abiding in Christ and that God has grafted us onto the tree of promise. There's nothing. But in the human, the reality is manifested in humility, in continuance, perseverance, bearing fruit for the glory of God. And how is anyone ever grafted in by faith? If you're not a Christian, uh, I can't make you one. No one in this room can make you one. Only God, evidenced by faith, turned to Christ for forgiveness. Only He forgives. And when He forgives, He forgives totally, absolutely, perpetually, and eternally. Thank God. The joy of the majesty of the Gospel. He saves and He forgives totally. And He continues to work by His grace that we would persevere and continue. And how is faith seen? Just in that way. Theologically, uh, I would remind you, for those of you interested in the science of eschatology or future things, there is only one tree, only one people of God. Multiple branches to be sure. A remnant among the nations and a remnant among 
Jews. And God is always saving that remnant. Sometimes I get accused of a replacement theory. Uh, there is no replacement. This is only one tree, many branches. And he is by grace grafting different branches onto the greatest tree of all the world. Namely, the elect of God. His promise given to the Son, accomplished by the Son, and affected by the greatest application in all the world by the Spirit of God. He's also warning us not to play him false. And the great news is that God is not finished with anyone yet, and that God is always able to save. And when he saves, it is on the tree of promise, evidenced by perseverance, fruitfulness, and humility. And so by grace, God is not finished. Also the great horticulturalist producing the fruit thereof. Remind you of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7. His labors in the church, I planted. Apollos watered. God was causing the growth. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Referencing the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse 10. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. God works it all. May He work mightily in this congregation. If you're not a Christian, may you flee to Him. Lay hold of His promise by faith in Jesus Christ. And never lose the reality that you will throughout the rest of your days depend upon Him for His sovereign grace to work in you that which is pleasing in His sight. Evidence of this is our comfort that we're on the tree of divine promise and our motive to trust Him every day as we desire to persevere for His glory. And may, may that never lose, uh, leave us uh, because grace is the one essential to work it all. And God is gracious uh, through Jesus Christ and the Great Spirit. And may God bless us uh, in this to pursue Him all the more for His glory.